for joining us on this week's episode of Gateway to the Smokies. This podcast is about America's most visited national park, the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and the surrounding towns. This area is filled with ancient natural beauty, a deep storied history, and rich mountain cultures that we will explore with weekly episodes. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, a man of the world, but also with deep roots in these mountains. My family has lived in the Great Smoky Mountains for over 200 years. My business is in travel, but my heart is in culture. Today, we're talking about seeds and sounds and heirloom agritourism in the Smoky Mountains with a dash of old-time music. I will introduce you to my guest, scholar and farmer, William Ritter, very soon. But first, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story about my experience with seeds and heirloom uh, agriculture in the mountains, and then maybe a little poetry. So when I was growing up, um, my grandparents had a farm in Iron Duff, which is uh, part of Haywood County. Uh, it's very rural. And then and in at Myron Duff is McElroy Cove, which is my family has lived in for a little while. And then, and, then, and then they lived in a farmhouse. It was just a plain old farmhouse, nothing particular fancy, but it raised a bunch of kids. Uh, uh, and, but, they, but they did have a nice running creek in the front yard. And, in the, and then around that creek and in the, in the front yard all over the place were these beautiful orange irises. Now, I, I remember seeing those irises in, in the spring, and they were just glorious. And I come to find out that my grandmother uh, told me once that she'd got those bulbs from her, from her family, where they'd been around for a while. And my aunt, aunt eventually told me and several years later that those irises have been growing in our family land for over 100 years. And then people, you know, different family members would just get a bunch of the bulbs you know, from wherever the original place was, and then eventually in uh, some of the you know, new places, and they would transfer those bulbs to their their new land or their new house or whatever, and then let them grow there. So these bulbs, turns out, have been around probably for over 100 years. And at this point, it's well over 100 years, because I'm talking about 40 years ago. And I don't want to, I don't want to mention my age, but it's definitely been a while. And so when I, I got the family farm about 10 years ago, or part of it, my, my, my brothers and sisters got the other part, and, and, uh, and I got this house on the land that I made into a, into a vacation cabin, because I go down a lot, and, uh, and then I like, to have, I like to have my own place with me and my wife at the time. And uh, I made sure to get some of those irises and put them on my yard there. And so it was in the farm, it was in my own place on the farm, and it was the irises. I felt like a family tradition had been completed. You know, it made me feel part of a long-running community and a long tradition. You know, I, I, you know I'm living this life around the world, but, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't leave behind that. It's, it's important, right? I, I think it's important to have that sense of community, you know, not only locally, but I think that we need to think about it on a, on a, a national and global scale, these, these traditions and this, these communities. We can't always just be inventing the new. We also got to be involved in the old. And I think that's especially one of the beauties of rural life and the mountain life, that sharing and communal living. We're going to get into talking into seeds and, uh, and my guest is going to tell me us a lot about it, but I remember a set of seeds too from my growing up uh, for, that were called that were candy roaster seeds, mm. right? You know, 
candy roasters are these great big squash. Now, some of them are really long and orange, and some of them are like more round and 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 green. But I mean, some of them are the size of you know a pig. Uh, I mean, they get big, uh, and and they and they they grow very. They they're very sweet, and they grow mostly, I think, in the mountains. Uh, and oftentimes, uh, we will use them instead of pumpkins in pies and breads and such. And there's a lot of varieties. I think there's like over 40 varieties. And people pass down the seeds of their favorite variety, like their family heirlooms. I also got some of those and planted them on my farm. And I, for a number of years, I grew, you know, grew um, those candy roasters. Now, one of the tragedies in my life is my, my wife died. My second wife died. And I, and I sort of lost interest in things for a little bit. And I lost those seeds. All right. And that's one of the, you know, one of the sorrows of my, uh, you know, communal living is I, I, I ended a tradition. So I'm going to be talking to William here soon and see if he can get me some new candy roaster seeds so I can reinvent the tradition because now I've got two year old kids and I am really looking forward to teaching them about these traditions. And I think they'd love to, to prance around in a candy roaster patch and find pumpkins and, you know, find squash bigger than they are. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and I've done poetry a few times on this, uh, this show and, you know, telling these stories makes me a little bit wispy and I like to, you know, deal with emotions in poetry. So I found this this poem called The Stack Behind the Barn by Sir Charles George Douglas Roberts. I would love to have four first names as my name. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, he is a a, a Canadian poet that died in 43. Uh, And uh, I I don't think he was ever in the Smokies, but it, it, it speaks to it. September is here with the ripened seeds and the homely smell of the autumn weeds. My heart goes back to a vanished day, and I am again a boy at play in the stack behind the barn. Dear memory of the old home farm, the hedgerows fencing the crops from harm, the cows too heavy with milk for haste, the yard barnyard yellow with the harvest waste, and the stack behind the barn. Dear, 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 the old garden smell, Sweet million and flocks that I love so well. And the seeding mint and the sage turn gray. But dear the smell of the tumbled hay in the stack behind the barn. In the side of the stack we made our nest. And there was the playhouse we loved the best. A thicket of goldenrod, bending and bright, filled us with glory and hid us from sight in the stack behind the barn. Then when the stack with the year ran low and our frosty morning cheeks were aglow, when time had forgotten the dropping leaves, what joy to drop from the barn's wide eaves to the stack behind the barn. Oh, childhood years, your heedless feet have slipped away with how much that's sweet. But dreams and memory master you till the make-believe of life is through. I still may play as the children do in the stack behind the barn. So especially at my position in life, that's really, uh, it, it spoke to me. So William is a, I'm here as an old time fiddler and a seed saver from Bakersville, North Carolina. He has spent most of his adult life studying and sharing Appalachian culture. Last year, he launched the Song to Seed Project, which curates 
educational programs that combine old-time music, storytelling, seed-saving, and other Southern Appalachian traditions. Now, I've had conversations with William, and, you know, I, I was expecting this older guy, and he's a young guy, but he's got an old soul and lots of information, and I really wanted to have him on the show. So, William, first thing, you have a master's degree. And probably have gone a few places. So tell me, why is the mountain so attractive for you to build your career there and your life? Oh, well, well, first of all, I'm still I'm gathering myself because that poem really hit me hard. That was a beautiful <laughs> poem. Oh, great. I'm, um, I'm trying to make it uh, emotional as well as intellectual. Yeah, gosh, I, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't prepared for, for, for that. That was beautiful. Um yeah, so I, I grew up in, in Mitchell County, uh, Bakersville, uh, North Carolina. I was born and raised in Mitchell County, and I did finally, you know, go off for college at, at Western. Um, I got a theater degree there, and, and then I um, went uh, to App State, uh, and that's where I got my um, degree in Appalachian Studies with a, an emphasis on roots music. I, I've never been able to go very far from the mountains, honestly. It's been very, very hard for me. Even as a kid, we would go to the beach um, or or go on a... We didn't really go on family vacations so much, but my uh, my parents were glass artists, and so they would have uh, shows that they had that they'd go to, and sometimes they'd take us along. And that kind of counted as the family vacations. Right. But I never, you know... Anyone I think that's really either lived in the mountains a long time or is from the mountains can relate to that feeling of like when you're, you're in a very flat plain and you're going along and all of a sudden in the distance you see those blue mountains and you're you're like oh yes yes I'm home oh I'm back I I feel like where I where I need to be at least that's how it would feel for me and sometimes I wasn't even close we were like hours and hours and hours away from Mitchell County but you know we were in the mountain it really it really uh, felt like home. Um, well, I, I, you know, I get it. I, I, uh, I, you know, my business was technology, which was big when I was coming out of uh, college and then, and then marketing and all of those, uh, you know, nowadays you can be anywhere, but then you had to be in the, the cities really to make a, a big living out of it. Right. So. Right. I and got, I did live in Winston-Salem for a, a few years, um, and, which I met some, some wonderful folks there. And I could see, um, I could see a mountain from my apartment. Part which was uh, like a, a godsend for me, but but that was that was a little. Even the foothills were a little little far out of the mountains for me. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about seed saving, and I think on some fundamental level, we all know what seed saving is. But can you give us a bigger picture of what seed saving isn't is? Isn't it sort of a big cultural part of a cultural mix now in the state? Okay. Yeah, so there is like this uh, modern um, kind of phenomena of, of people really getting into seed saving, which a lot of that really developed um, came into, I think, everyone's kind of the popular conscience with uh, the use of GMOs. Right. And that, you know, kind of scared a lot of, of people um, to the point that that they, you know, decided they want in control of their own seed supply, which I, I totally totally get that's not really how I got into it but that's a big part I think of what created that but then there also was the DIY movement I think the do-it-yourself movement that really combined with with that those and and that a lot of people wanted to have their own little garden there's you start to see more urban gardening more rooftop gardening and that all kind of came together I think to really encourage people to be in control of their own own um, seed sources is 
you know, really there's a very few companies in the world that own a lot of the seeds. Um, so that's certainly a concern. And if you were paying, you know, if you think about that, every family had maybe their own heirlooms um, and most communities had certain heirlooms that weren't other places. If you think about how maybe we had 95% of people were farmers a hundred years ago, fast forward today, 5% of people or so are farmers. So you can just see how naturally all those different heirlooms would just drop off the map. So he's precipitously lost all the, so many heirlooms. I mean, just, They've gone by the wayside, honestly. Um, for me, though, I think of seed saving as um, as a community act. So mm-hmm. it's not just something where you're taking the seeds, you, you, you grow your tomato plant from a seed, and then you got your tomato and you cut it open and you keep the seeds and you dry them out and then you plant them next year. That is seed saving. But the way that I'm looking at it is kind of like the older older kind of seed saving, the real heirlooms in the capital H kind of a way, you know, no seed catalog or anything, not that I'm against those, but that uh, a person would go to their neighbor or someone in the community and they would exchange them with warm hands, as we say. So that was like Mm -hmm. person to person. And that's a real community act. I mean, you can tell, and you can see that still a lot of Appalachian heirlooms, they'll, it'll be like, they'll have a person's name in them of, the variety they won't just call it candy roaster seeds they might call that like uncle jimmy's candy roaster um and so it really it underscores that okay cool well when we come back we're going to talk more about what sparked your interest in uh old-time music and seed uh saving This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, William Ritter. So um, I uh, I grew up, you know, in a, in a strong musical tradition around me uh, in, the, in Haywood County. And uh, at the time we lived in, in Jonathan Creek, you know, I got interested one brief period in, in learning banjo and uh, other things in my to start me out, uh, I wanted to do dan- banjo, but my dad got started wanted to start me simpler, I think, or whatever. He got me a guitar, right, and 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 set up lessons uh, to go with some local, uh, well-known teacher. I can't remember the name right now, but uh, it was a, you know played all sorts of instruments and, and folk and uh, and traditional mountain music, and uh, and I went. I, I had to go to the school in the morning carrying that guitar because I was going go right after school. Uh, to the to the to the teacher who lived near, and I, as I got out of the car and was walking uh, walking up the uh, the steps, there was high steps for the uh, school because it was Rock Hill School, which was a one room schoolhouse essentially. It was like an old rock building, but with these high steps. And I, I sort of bounded up them, but as I did it, I fell, and I fell right on top of the guitar and crushed the thing. All right. And all the kids standing around, I was sort of a chubby little kid and had a real self-conscious problem anyway. I felt they, they all started howling with laughter. And I turned red. I started crying. I, you know, I, uh, I, I just threw it away and I wouldn't touch an instrument again for years. It really affected me that badly. So I missed my chance to get uh, to, t- to, to, uh, to uh, ex- explore my interest in uh, mountain music. So what sparked your interest in Appalachian traditions like old-time music and seed saving? 
Well, well, I mean, I got to say first, it's never too late. <laughs> it's never too late. It's never too late. No. Um, but uh, for me, um, I don't know. I, I think I was kind of surprised that I ended up uh, picking up the fiddle and, and other stringed instruments. Um, you know, I'd always been told that you pretty much needed to be born like with a fiddle in your hands. Like you'd never really amount to anything if you didn't start very young. And mm-hmm. that's really not not necessarily true. Um, so I, I didn't really, in earnest, start playing the fiddle until I was in um, high school, kind of going on college. Um, and I got this precocious idea um, that I would make my own fiddle because I was a handy type of person. I grew up in a family of artists, and we just made stuff when we needed it. Um, so I didn't think anything of it. I, I So I... Um, I ordered some bits and parts and, and I kind of borrowed some tools. And so I started working on this, putting this fiddle together. And my, my dad, who's an artist, he said, you know, you really need to talk to someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you really should. I was like, actually, there's this old man that you should go to meet. He's a really interesting guy. And so I said, oh, all right, all right. So I went up there and I met, that's where I met Ray Dellinger and um, Ray passed um earlier this year um but he really just he really guarded i mean in the beginning it was just me going and he'd show me how to make a little tool or um he'd show me how to do a certain thing or he'd he basically would just help me in all these different ways and i remember when i brought my fiddle after i'd put it together and there's this particular part called a sound post that's loose really in the fiddle it's just held in by by tension barely and um that I was having a really hard time getting in there because you put the fiddle together and then you prop it up. It's, it's the thing best left to experts. But anyway, so I took it to him and he set it up and um, he said he'll never, he'd never forget the the look on my face when he bowed across the strings. And it, it made us, you know, it sounded like a, a fiddle, um, maybe not a violin, a fiddle. Um, and so uh, you know, I just kept visiting Ray and I would help him a little, some of the instruments sometimes. And, and as I went to visit him more, it was less about making fiddles or guitars and more about playing music. I mean, he'd basically be like, get the fiddle out and start playing. And, you know, I couldn't play to save my life, but he would encourage me just nonstop and let me just make mistakes. And I'd work my way along and he'd say, do you know how to play, you know, a certain tune? And I'd say, I'd never heard it before. And, hum it for me and I'd go home and learn it. So I had this really, I mean, I didn't even know, but a really traditional way to learn to play. Um, and I, 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 you know, kind of went out into the broader world and I started to meet other people that were like really interested in, in old time music, but they didn't really know any old timers. So that was kind of bizarre to me that they were like into the music, but they were listening to like recordings. And I was, um, and I was doing that too, but I also felt like there was a big disconnect when they weren't kind of yeah, because there's still a lot of old timers and and, and, and learned. Yeah, like and that. there were more then. That was about yeah. 15 years ago. Um, yeah. And and so I, I was, and in fact, uh, someone did come up to me and it changed my life. Uh, she said, "You know, I think it's a shame that you're learning from recordings when there's so many musicians around here." And I was like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, yeah. my my head like I. You know, and I, and I realized um, when she said that, that, yeah, I mean, that's what I had been doing with Ray, but I needed to think about them seriously. And then over time, I realized 
you know, there's songs I learned from Ray that I didn't even like, you know, <laughs> but now they're like, they're precious to me and I wouldn't right. give them up for anything. And I love them, but it's like a different relationship than just something you liked was cool. Mm-hmm. It's like something you like because of that human connection. And, right. and I really just basically found the same thing with seeds. Um, you know, like I didn't even really like tomatoes that much when I started <laughs> into <laughs> tomato saving. That's changed, but also they're just wetter tomatoes than like what you yeah. get at a store like a hybrid tomato it's just it's just better i mean so you find you find the, the traditions of old-time music and seed saving are, are similar oh they're incredibly similar um yeah. i mean you know they're handed down like hand to hand first you know um usually with family members in a community go to different communities and they have different songs different seeds than other communities um and sometimes you'll have all these songs that have the same name, but in different communities, they're a different tune. So it's like, you'd be like, hey, uh, do you know uh, uh, Kitty Push? And then the other person's like, yeah, I know Kitty Push. And you start to play and they're not the same song. <laughs> but that happens with, with seeds too. You'll, you'll, you know, you'll see a lot of seeds of the same name and they go, oh, no, that's not, that's not the, the same seed. So there's really just, there's a lot in common. They go really, really well, well together. Oh, wow. Well, that's cool. Do you, um, you know, uh, I had, uh, I, I, uh, I, uh, I was thinking, you know, you have a farm, right? Uh, I have a farm. So it's like, you know, there's a some, wee farm. You have a wee farm. <laughs> so you, you do produce some heirloom crops, right? Uh, a little bit, not so. I mean, mostly what I do gets turned over into seeds, and mm-hmm. I eat it. Um, the oh. the plant itself, but some. Um, and I'm also trying to transition out of what's very natural for me is if I have excess that I grew to like give it to other people is like, like is ingrained in me in a way I didn't even realize until I started trying to sell, you know, some of the produce. And, and I really just wanted to give it to people <laughs> that I knew. I mean, I was, that's what we always did. We had a yeah. huge garden growing up. If you had more than you needed, you took it to neighbors and friends and they're always really happy to have it unless they had a garden too. And they were like, oh. Well, who we will get this to? <laughs> oh. So but you, you, you are trying to start selling a little bit, though you won't call a, it selling. a little bit. I mean, yeah. a little bit. Still, a big part of what I'm trying to do is is create these public of events, um, uh, educational well, events. That all got shot to you know to heck. You'll <laughs> be bringing that back. You can you can do yes. one of those at the Metal Ark Motel, by the way. Oh uh, yeah, I would yeah. love to. Um, right. Yeah, let's but, talk. Uh, <laughs> So let's let's uh, you know for people out there listening to this to find out where the, what they how they can participate in this other than growing their own produce, you know in in the mountains you can go to farm stands and things like that to find heirloom produce. You know it's a big thing uh, I think mm-hmm. in the mountains to you know to go to that sort of thing. What are some of the good places that you know of? Uh, well, well, real quick. Um... There are some great farmers markets in Western North Carolina, East Tennessee too, though I'm not as, as familiar there. Silva has a great farmers market. Waynesville has a great farmers market. At both of those, just to say real quick, I've seen beautiful heirlooms, particularly candy roasters, just some to die for candy roasters. Mm-hmm. But all up and down North Carolina, Western North Carolina towns of any size, all of them have farmers markets, and you'll really find traditional heirloom um, vegetables there. So that's a, that's a great place to go. Almost every time, ta- every town has one or two. Yeah, I think that you know the one in Haywood County, that's Waynesville, is a historic farmers market. It's been going on for a long time. I, it you know, it so has. It's, it's a yeah. pretty classic one. You know, something else I mentioned. Um, yeah, you know, since I'm yeah you know, 
Yeah, we'll talk about you know places I like. I like Barber's Orchard, uh, Orchard, in in near Waynesville too, and they yes. have a fruit stand uh, mm-hmm. that is just to die for, and they have heirloom apples, right? So, uh, oh, yes, people definitely uh, should uh, look that up. So, uh, when we come back, we'll talk about more uh, more about the you know heirloom uh, and seeds and and all sorts <laughs> of uh, things to do in the mountains. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Gateway to the Smokies podcast and my guest, William Ritter. So, William, you've already named a few varieties of heirlooms, but, you know, if someone goes to a produce stand or a farmer's market in the Smokies, what are they looking for? Okay, so um, we talked a little bit about candy roasters, so that's a big one. And like you mentioned, they can come in all different sort of shapes and sizes. Often they're pretty big. I mean, it could be intimidatingly large. Like if you're on vacation and you're like, I'm going to make some pies, you probably don't need one the size of a coffee table. Uh, yeah, if you look, if you see something that looks like a pod from the body snatchers, yeah. you're probably getting close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so, but, but essentially it's a winter squash. Sometimes they look kind of like what's called a banana squash. And just to be clear, a winter squash is not grown in the winter unless you're like in Florida. Um, it just keeps really well. It, it, it'll, it'll hold over the winter. I actually had a candy roaster last like a year and a half once before it went bad. <laughs> I was, it, it started, it wasn't an experiment at first, but then it really turned into an experiment. <laughs> so, so that's one thing is the candy roasters. So that's a big, you know, squash should be around in the fall, just like when people are putting pumpkins out. And there are some candy roasters that are shaped like a pumpkin, um, too. And so that'd be a, just a thing where, you know, I mean, I said, well, do you have any candy roasters or... Um, so hopefully you find some there, but then in terms of beans, uh, one real good indicator of an heirloom bean is that they're really full. So if you were to go get like, uh, beans at the grocery store, they're like round all the way around and thin, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of look like a thick or a cylinder. Well, old timey beans were like big fat things. I'm you, you'd know Joseph, but, but they, they have what, what a big seed in, 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 in there, uh, when they're in the in the bean, we call them a bullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, just point of trivia. But those um, beans are real fat. They look like they're about to pop. They've almost got such a big seed in it. At that stage, there's a lot of flavor. There's a lot of nutrition, particularly. So if you're thinking about in the old days, you're, you're subsisting on cornbread and and grits and and uh, some kind of animal. You know what, what kind of meat you can come by that's probably really heavily salted and smoked. And then their beans, but they'd have all this nutrition that's not in a modern grocery store bean that's real thin. The the right. seed's not even developed. It's like a green thing, and we should eat green things. But it's not as healthy for you as the big beans. But those modern beans, they get tough, so they can't grow that big because you wouldn't be able to eat them. Right. Um, so that's that's one thing to look for is those bigger beans. And uh, so there's a lot of different kinds. And there's October beans, um, and there's also um, – which are – kind of in the late summer, early fall, they start coming on and they're usually kind of speckled. Um, and then sometimes there's what's called shelly beans and shellies are just, it's like a bean seed that's almost like so ripe that it's going to start drying to become dormant. It's right before that. It's like as big as the seed's going to get. And you, they take that out of the pod and then you cook that and 
like in a soup, soup memes or whatever, you know, it's nothing like a, any you know, bean you've ever had if you've not had shellies. Um, you cook those down. They're they're so good. I, I think someone like called them like mountain endamame or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, so that's one thing to to keep an eye out for. And when it comes to tomatoes, you're looking for an ugly duckling. You know, you're looking for like a, a something that's kind of got cracks all over it and it's got green on the top, but is but is it's like it's not all the way ripe is what it looks like. And that's and- true. And um, it's not like we get in grocery stores here and uh, Whole Foods up here. Even they got heirloom right. tomatoes, and they look they look like they're multicolored and everything. But he's not talking about those. These no. are even uglier. No, yes, yes, yeah, and probably not grown in a greenhouse in Canada. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, they're they're uglier, really. They they're um, sometimes you'll get one that's like pristine, but that's not average and also not important but they're they're thin as skinner they're they're thin as skinner the skin is thinner that is why <laughs> they they split you kind of like that and uh, they'll be usually kind of soft and um they can come in different colors so you know yellows you'll see a lot you'll see um like a pinkish red color and a lot of them are big so they're like big enough you'd slice them and put them on a sandwich or tomato biscuit which is if you've never had a tomato biscuit, it's just mayonnaise and a biscuit and a tomato. And if that doesn't sound good, you haven't tried it. No, <laughs> I mean, because uh, I wouldn't yeah. have thought that was good until I had a tomato biscuit um, in my young life. I grew up eating tomato biscuits, <laughs> tomato sandwiches. That was just yeah. the thing. Oh my God, with mayonnaise. Yeah. Right. And so, and when you had real, a real fatty Hellman's mayonnaise. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, down here, a lot of, a lot of Dukes. Yeah, um, Dukes too. Yeah, yeah. We've got a lot, a lot yeah. of, a lot of Duke, uh, Duke fans. Um, sometimes basketball and yeah. uh, mayonnaise, and sometimes um, just uh, yeah. the mayonnaise. <laughs> but so. So, um, so, so there's that. Uh, there's also what's called a Mister Stripey, and I, I have to mention that that is like it's like red on the bottom and yellow on the top, and if you cut it open, it looks like a sunrise, and that's like one of the quintessential mountain heirlooms, and it's killing me to even think about eating one right now <laughs> they're really they're, good yeah. they're really, really good and then there's tommy toes which are like a cherry tomato is, right. is another one and, and then there's and then of course you know, there's, air, there's heirloom uh fruit right we talked about heirloom apples all these things are a little bit ugly but they're uh, sure often yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. heritage tomatoes i mean or um, um heritage yeah. um apples uh, we, we could talk all day about, about thing, that yeah. but yeah but again i mean again you're hearing that like a russet sometimes they're all kind of scarred looking on top of those yeah. the apples but yeah they're, they're a lot of it's just asking too at the farmer's market yeah. i mean but there's heirlooms and then there's like other heirlooms but uh it, ugly is a is a big part <laughs> so uh if, if cooking isn't your thing, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. so you're not going to go to a farmer thing, then try, unless you're just going to eat it while you get it. But where, what would you say? Where you can, where can you experience some traditional Appalachian food ways? Well, um, off the top of my head, I mean, I, I'd love to have a real complete list. Uh, there should be a good listing for that. Honestly, I'm going to tell people about a listing. But yeah, yeah, right. Um, well, but I do know in Asheville, there's that uh, Benayon Eagle. I don't know if I'm saying that right, right. but um, they have a lot of Appalachian and Afrolachian foods there. So that's that place is is really really good. Um, there's Buxton Hall Barbecue. Sometimes they have leather britches. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know if they might, but the health inspector told them they couldn't do leather britches anymore, which is a crying shame. What is leather britches? So. 
Leather britches. Well, I'll I'll talk about leather britches in a second. But okay. before that, right. um, there's the uh the blind cu- uh blind pig supper club. That's like a charity um kind of pop up uh restaurant farm to table thing. Really neat. Right. Um, if you go to Cherokee, there's uh Paul's restaurant, which is very famous for really traditional fare. Uh, you can eat like rabbit and things like that there. And then Grant's Kitchen is over in Cherokee, and that has a lot of traditional stuff. They might not have like greasy beans and stuff like yeah. that, but it's 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 pretty traditional Appalachian food. And well, there's yeah, ways. I think I heard that Bearwater Grill does some good traditional food in Canton. Ah. They might be doing that in Maggie Valley. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the Sweet Onion in Waynesville does uh, will use some uh, farm to table heirloom stuff as well. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. yeah. Well, they, yeah, the um, uh, I don't know, Frog Sleep's still there in Waynesville, but they have some yeah. um, wonderful uh, farm to table. So there's lots of there's you know there's there. I'll be giving a resource at the end on how to find some of this stuff, mm-hmm. um, uh, but there is quite a bit of uh, places to visit. Right. Um, you mentioned leather britches. I'm dying to know what the heck that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I didn't know that this was going to be like uh, on Zoom video or I would have I would have held up some oh, leather yeah. britches. But um, maybe you might have heard them called shuck beans or shucky beans, possibly. But all that is, is that um, back before newfangled canning technology, um, where you could preserve your, your stuff by canning it... Um, and even before, you know, pickling it, people would take their beans still in the, the, the hull and in, in the uh, in the green bean hull, and they would either put it on a piece of twine. I used guitar string, um, but on a or a real waxy, strong thread, um, or sometimes they just put it out over a screen or or on a tin roof um, or in an old car that dries them out real good. And that what happens is they dry up and they turn kind of kind of brownish. Sometimes they look a little green still, and and they look a lot like leather. Uh, and you can only use certain types of beans for this, by the way, because they have to be like a tender hold bean, and, and you couldn't use you couldn't go to the grocery store again and get some of those modern beans and put a string through it because it <laughs> would be like leather because they get tough. Right. Um, but but what you do is. So have those and you, they dry and then you can eat them later in the year when you no longer have beans, you know, so you can keep you all through the winter. But what you do is you just recook them. You, you basically well, not been cooked, but you just, you know, you, you take the string off. That's important. Um, and you put them down in water and, uh, you know, big piece of fat pack or something in there and you just cook it for a, a good while. And it turns into this like completely different thing. It's not like green beans, but it is. And anyone that like really grew up on leather bridges, usually it mention it. They just like salivate, and they're uh-huh. like also frustrated because they're like, "I can't have that." You know? <laughs> like, where do you go for leather bridges? Wow, um, I, I didn't have that part of my tradition. So it's <laughs> interesting. There's lots of there's lots of things in the mountains that go that are very specific to particular communities and don't necessarily mm-hmm. translate to other ones, right? And sure. So, well, yeah. and you. You never know when maybe someone in your family might have had a bad experience with leather bridges. Yeah, they're like, I'm done. Do I am it, not right? doing yeah. that anymore. Canning is much easier. <laughs> I don't want right. the ugly things all over my porch. You know? So if somebody wanted to grow some of this stuff and get some seeds, uh, heirloom seeds to grow in their gardens, where would be mm-hmm. a good place to go? Well, one that I talk about a lot because um, I think they do a really job um, is uh, and it's I think it's heirlooms.org but that's the sustainable mountain agriculture farm it it was in Berea um, Kentucky but but now it's moved um, to somewhere in Tennessee um, to near another university there and you can go on their website and they have a great 
selection of just, I mean, honest to goodness, heirloom seeds. I mean, they're the stuff that were passed down in people's families and, and all the different kinds. You can be so educated by going there and learning about pink tips and October beans and greasy beans and cut shorts. And I mean, it's just, there's all these kinds of beans. It's, it's incredible. Southern Appalachia is the richest uh, seed shed, mo- most different kinds of seeds in North America, right behind Central Mexico, which to, to be second to Central Mexico in seeds is is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that that's an, an important that's an, an important place to go. There's also so true seeds. Just talking about regionally in uh, Asheville, there you can they have a catalog, but you can also go to the actual store, and that's really nice. And they have their seeds, you know, little little farmers uh, markets and and um, places. There's also also go to Feed and Seeds. Those are huge. Bryson City Farm Supply has great seeds, but you know uh, that for me is like tourism. Like I want to go to the Feed and Seed. <laughs> old, if I see an old hardware store, I'm like, oh yes, I'm there. Yeah. That's Tourism for me, um, but also a very brief self promotion. I do have some seeds for adoption on my right. website. Cool. So when we come back, we'll finish up with you telling us a little bit about what you're doing uh, and resources, uh, and then I will also tell you some resources to do some agricultural uh, tourism in the mountains. This is Joseph Franklin Backleroy back with the uh, Gateway to the uh, Smokies podcast with my guest William Ritter. So, William, you have a you have an organization called Song to Seed. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> well, um, organization makes it sound bigger than it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> always, um, always dress for what you want to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm wearing wearing a, a flannel plaid, so I guess oh, I don't my, know what that tells I'm you. New York City. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so Song to Seed um, is something that it's been a little hard for me to actually have an elevator speech for for a while because it's not just an organization or um, a project to share and spread seeds, which is part of it, but really kind of zooming out from that to think about really how this can be like a metaphorical seed uh, for all kinds of different Appalachian folkways. What I am trying to do with my work is to... Um, is to A, highlight people that I don't think... Uh, I, w- I want to give credit to people who I don't think get credit, whether they're older storytellers or just people that are, like, really, you know, living their Appalachian life, but, but you know, maybe they're not getting enough credit for that. Um, uh, but also, you know, I, I'm really thinking about these folkways, whether it's it's dance, community dances, I love playing for dances and organizing them, um, whether it's, uh, you know, getting together these old tile, old style working bees, which is like a bean stringing or a corn shucking where people get together and all, you know, get a big crowd to get a big job done quickly. It's like a barn raising. That's right. the example of, of a working bee. But I'd like to see that kind of stuff come back within those, you reconnect all these different folkways together where, where they used to be and where I think they held each other up better and rather than kind of separating them off into their their little aisles i don't think they're they stand as well without the context like the context is is key i mean like the joke for old time music is it's better than it sounds <laughs> um, so so i mean there's there's that but that's really what what 
what I'm, I'm aiming to do is 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 yes to share seeds, but also to really encourage um, you know people to pick up music and 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 to, and to really get their know their neighbor. Like I talk about seed saving as a community act. Old time music is a community act. Dancing is a community act. These are all community building things that these rural communities used to really rely on. I mean, if you think that couldn't figure that like you know you worked on your pretty large family farm, let's say, and you had like nine brothers and sisters and your parents and your grandma, but you didn't really see anybody else but them for most of the day. The place you'd go, you know, was like a dance to meet other people mm -hmm. um, in the community to, to get that, that kind of fellowship if it wasn't at church, which, you know, there was that too, but that, that those were really important when people were disconnected. And I think we're disconnected again. We're really disconnected now with everything that's going on, as they say. Yeah, right, um, right now, yeah. But we are really disconnected. I mean, even before the pandemic, I was thinking, like, you know, politically there is this gulf. And I, m my hope and, uh, and ambition is really to try to, you know, make better neighbors and, and try to get people to see and hear each other and, and maybe see their fundamental humanity while they're, you know, dancing together, <laughs> you know. So um, so Song to Seed is, a, is, is kind of, vague in some ways it's an official name for kind of the the entirety of all the stuff that i i do which is a lot whether it's right. teaching fiddle lessons um or or what I, I i do a lot of different things but it's all around the same kind of idea of you know enriching communities hopefully revitalizing rural communities and um you know getting people especially young people like to buy in and again and, and live here so, so there's a lot um, to it <laughs> So how do how do people get a hold of you? Uh, well, I do have songtoseed.com. And so, you know, you can contact me there. We also have a Facebook and uh, we also have an Instagram. Um, but that's that's pretty much the, the gist of it. You have, but, a, you have a YouTube channel, I saw. Oh, too, right? I do. Yeah, that's very fresh. That's very, yeah. well, it's not fresh in like a cool way. It's just very new. I did. Ha I do have my own um, YouTube channel, but I decided I need to kind of split off that because there's a whole gaggle of things on on my regular youtube but but the song of seeds where i have uh some of the original <laughs> songs that i've written about heirlooms kind of my educational songs that's also where i will be putting some more kind of like how to kind of stuff with with uh, traditional gardening and also I, I have a storyteller on there so that's another part of the work um working with uh, bobby mcmillan is one storyteller and ballad singer particularly that that i've been working with a lot as a good friend of mine and so i have him telling an old old folk tale that's, that's on there nice. yeah well thank you for coming and being on the show I'm like, I, we have so we had a lot of questions we didn't get to so we'll have <laughs> another show all right sounds uh, good and i think that'll be great so i want uh, everybody to if you uh want to find out more about haywood county or agritourism which is big is actually a big uh, thing in the mountains uh, you can go to gatewaystothesmokies.fun, which is the site for this podcast, where there's a, lot, there's a previous podcast, there's uh, po articles posted, different resources. And right at the top on the, on the, on the far right is uh, there's the Haywood County Agritourism uh, Map and PDF Information Link. You can go to that, and it's got, it's got maps, it's got uh, listings of all sorts of agritourism-related businesses. Farms, uh, restaurants, you know, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, tree farms, all sorts of wonderful experiences to have in the near and around the Smoky Mountains uh, to to do outdoor experience. Um, so please go to that site. 
I, I got a couple other self-promotion items now. Uh, imagine <laughs> a place evocative of motor courts of the past, yet modern and vibrant with a chic Appalachian feel. A place for adventure and for relaxation. Imagine a place where you can fish in a mountain heritage trout farm, grill the catch on the fire, and eat accompanied by fine wine and craft beer and get an heirloom tomato made into a sandwich. (laughs) Imagine a place with old-time music and world cultural sounds. There's no other place like the Metal Art Motel in Maggie Valley, North Carolina. We are the starting point for all the ventures in the Serenity of the Mountains have to offer. Your Smoky Mountain adventure starts with where you stay. Stay at the Middle Ark Motel. You can go to themiddlearkmotel.com to find out. We have all sorts of events uh, ranging from music to uh, tours to storytelling. And, and it's only we're, we're developing it into a mountain heritage center uh, over time. So uh, keep, keep in the loop on that. I want to mention the, uh, the two sponsors. I'm involved with both of them. Smokiesadventure.com. Um, and it's an information listings about the Smokies. It emphasis is on outdoor recreation, outdoor life events like weddings and adventures, along with pri- providing information on lodging, family entertainment, waterfalls, events, conventions, honeymoons, and more. This site is becoming the leading information for where, where to go, what to do in the mountains of uh, the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina and Tennessee. I'm also part of Where Traveler. Uh, Where Traveler is an 80-year-old magazine that you've probably seen in motels or hotels around the world. It's been focused on cities for its entire existence and about where to do and what to do in the cities. Well, I have convinced them to focus also on regions, and one of them is the first one is the Great Smoky Mountains region, which encompasses eastern Tennessee and the, and the western North Carolina, as well as the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. It's actually a, 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 the size of Massachusetts in terms of uh, scope. scope. Uh, and there's many towns, cities, and uh, and and uh, and other uh, and um, and other uh, and tourist and attractions to visit in these mountains. We are uh, creating a destination there where there's going to be in-depth stories about uh, people and events and and culture that exists in these mountains. And there will also be uh, listings there for the major uh, uh, major things to be doing, from ranging from the Biltmore States to Dollywood. So please visit wheretraveler.com slash Great Smoky Mountains. Uh, this, this, this podcast is on the talk, talkradio.nyc network. There's lots of great podcasts on the show. In fact, I have another one that's business-related called Wise Content Creates Wealth on Fridays from 1 to 2. Uh, after this this podcast today, there's one on New York City. So you should, could stay around. You've been in, the, in a small town, rural area. Now go visit the big towns. Uh, and so stick around and listen to that podcast. It's very great. I appreciate it. Next week, we have another great Gateway to the Smokies podcast. Thank you, William. And we'll see you then. Thank you. Thank you.